This is Route 66, One for the Road, with Rory Alskiri. Hello and welcome to the Route 66, One for the Road podcast. Thank you very much for sticking with us. I know it's been absolutely ages since I've done a podcast. For that, I apologise. But we are here, we're still rocking, and I've got a great interview for you this time. South African blues rock guitarist Dan Putlansky is our guest again. He's been on before, but this time he's here to talk about another brand new album that comes out on the 2nd of February. Perfection Kills will be the new one from him. We'll talk to him about the album, how he put it together, where he recorded it, lots of other stuff besides, including his tour coming up in March with Molly Marriott. That's right here on the Route 66 One for the Road podcast. Well, hello, as I say, Happy New Year to you. I think we're still allowed to say that, but anyway, we'll gloss over that. It's been ages. I've had a very busy Christmas with my family staying and lots of exciting stuff happening in my life, so not had a chance to jump in the studio and do a podcast for you, but this is great this time. We've got something from Dan Putlansky, good chat with him, and several tracks from his brand new album, which doesn't come out until the 2nd of February, so you're getting your ears around this before lots of other people, so good on you. Thanks for being here with us. Don't forget you can check out more stuff on my website, uh, rockinjockey.com, com and you can get me on Twitter as well at Rory Auskerry. Right, let's get into this then. Interview with Dan Putlansky. The album's called Perfection Kills. So I kicked off this interview by asking Dan whether or not he is a perfectionist. Well, in the past, maybe a little bit too much. Um, I think to the peril of the music. Um, um, so on this, it's a, it's a concept. That the Perfection Kills is a concept I've been kind of, you know, messing about with um, and thinking about a lot and researching a lot in the last couple of years. And um, I, I finally decided to kind of apply it to an album and to an art. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense. I think I've talked to, to a lot of musicians before about you know aspects of the recording and production process where there's a temptation to keep doing things until you feel like you've quote-unquote got it right. But then if you're not careful, before you know it, you've, you've sort of taken away all the spontaneity out of it. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, you know, I, I just don't think there is a point where you as the artist is going to be completely happy, um, you know, because it's you're listening to yourself back and you're always going to kind of, you know, nitpick the flaws in, in your playing, your singing, your songs. Um, so there has to be a point where you call it. Um, so I've just, I kind of took the approach on the album um, where it's almost got to be like a live set. It's, um, you know, the way we played it is the way it's going to be, unless it's a colossal mistake that happened that we'll redo. But just to not overthink it and 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 and, and kind of have more of a gut feel about parts and and takes, rather than overanalyzing it and really polishing all all the the magic out of it. And does the the overthinking it element that you mentioned does that get easier with experience and being, you know, as you are many albums into your musical career, or do you find that the more experience that you've got and the more success that you have, that your own bar gets higher somewhat, and you you find it harder to kind of reach that level where you think, yep, that's good enough. Well, yeah, I I, I think. Um Definitely the latter. I mean, you, you you're always raising the bar for yourself, and you know, in your head, you want to be a better songwriter, singer, guitar player. You just you just want to be a, an all round better musician. There's always that craving to do that. Um, but you know, for me, I've kind of learned that the practice room, if you will, is the place to worry about that, and the studio and the stage 
you've got to kind of trust you know what you've you've learned in the practice room and what you've worked on and just trust that and go with that organically instead of trying to like analyze it as you're doing it but obviously you know I produced the album myself so I had to do a lot of that and I kind of had to put on two hats which I found was the most difficult part was separating you know Dan the musician and guitar player and and songwriter and then then myself as the producer and kind of having to step back and listen to it as an overall thing and as almost a third party would, would, would hear it. And that sometimes is quite tough to separate the two. Yeah, you're, you're trying to sort of sit on both sides of the fence in some respects. And in, I mean, a lot of people have told me that they've tried that approach of, of producing their work themselves and actually having a, a, a sort of extra pair of ears that is not musically as involved in the process can be really helpful. So, you know, it's a real skill to be able to do both. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously the last two albums were produced by, by Theo Krauss, um, you know, to, to, you know, a fair amount of success. But, you know, I learned so much from Theo working with him on these albums and learned like really cool tricks and, you know, about arranging and writing and producing, you know, and, you know, there was a certain sound I wanted to go for on this album that is not really what Theo does. And I almost felt it. You know, cheeky to ask a producer to change the way he produces, um, you know, because that means you've got the wrong producer, really, you know. If, yeah. If, 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 so I, I, what I did was I thought I'd give it a crack myself because I had a very, very clear vision of how I wanted the album to sound. Um, but I kind of used all the little things that I learned from Theo and try to kind of you know, combine the two together. That's really interesting. Um, and I was going to say to you that this album has a, a very distinct sound to it. There's a lot of variety in it, but I think there's a very distinct theme through it. And it's quite a different theme to my ears to your previous couple of albums. I mean, let's talk about some of the tracks. The first one that I wanted to talk to you about was Never Long Enough, track two. Bit of piano for nine seconds and then you blast in. I mean, your guitar sound is is typically brilliantly Dan Putlansky, but I mean, you know, kicking off a song with piano for a start is a bit different. It, it certainly is. Um, and, you know, the, the only way I can kind of describe that is, you know, obviously everything I write is kind of rooted in the blues and is guitar-based, but I've got, you know, quite a host of influences from a whole host of genres. And, um, you know, that intro, it kind of, you know, I'm a big Supertramp fan, actually. It's one of my favourites. You know, Great band, from the brilliant 70s. live as well, Super Tramp. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up listening to them, and I kind of, you know, wanted, you know, I kind of wrote that piano part, um, kind of almost like a of a, a tip of the cap to, to Super Tramp, and you know, almost like a, a Super Tramp feel, but then completely cock it up by you know, throwing in loud electric <laughs> guitars and, and all that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it was the right way to kind of start the tune, you know.
Dan Putlansky with us on the Route 66 One for the Road podcast. That's track two from the latest album, Perfection Kills, and it's called Never Long Enough, that one. Um, the next one I want to talk to you about, Dan, Too Far Gone. What an absolutely ripping solo in this. You must have had fun doing that. Yeah, that, the, the, the whole song, from even when we, we started writing the song, was just a, a real hoot to play and to write. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, just let everything hang out kind of tune, you know, where there's, it, it, well, let's put it this way. It's not, a, there's no, there's no real subtleties in the tune, you know, it kind of, you know, blasts from the beginning to the end. Like a, 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 right a up my fashion. alley, no subtlety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no subtlety. <laughs> big fan of you know a lot of you know real real old school and and also new rock and roll and you know that one was really inspired by kind of like an audio slave type of thing and 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 i'm a big big audio slave fan um but it's it's that kind of concept really where you know it's just the roof that just kind of kicks you from beginning to end um and it 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 is and i know we haven't played the songs live yet but i know that one's gonna be possibly one of the coolest ones to play live too yeah, I had that sense as well, listening to it, actually. Um, next, uh, I wanted to talk about Eyes, which is really funky. Um, uh, you know, musically really funky, but from a, a kind of lyrical perspective, I, I don't know whether I'm right in this, but I'm getting a kind of vibe. Um, people are, are too obsessed with social media. They're not in the moment enough anymore. And, you know, you've got a bit of an issue with that. Is that in any way uh, the correct interpretation? Yeah, you're dead on. Um, you know, the, that, that song, well, the idea for the song came from, I was doing a show in London uh, maybe two, three years ago, and it was a sold-out show, and I, and I never forget, I, I, I often play with my eyes closed, and I opened my eyes at one point in the show, and there were 300 people in the room. I'd say 95% of them were had their cell phones up and were watching the show through their cell phone screens. And I thought that is a, a very, very strange way to, you know, you're paying, you're paying money to see a live show and you're watching it on, on your cell phone screen. You might as well just watch it on YouTube the next day, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, I, I'm guilty of it too. I spend way too much time on my phone and, you know, especially if I'm, you know, kind of waiting, you know, in a waiting room at a doctor's room or, or something like that, I'm always on my phone. It's the first thing I go to and it's a, it's it's quite weird that that we we've got we've got to that point, um, and quite sad actually. You know that I think it's you know I think we, it's almost becoming a problem. You know, especially with the youth. That's that that's yeah. for damn sure. Well, you lose those moments where you catch somebody's eye across the waiting room, you know, and and share a moment in a joke or something. You know, I, I've had times where you're on a train and somebody said something over the PA system and somebody near you has muttered some witty quip. And if you sat there with your headphones <laughs> on immersed in your smartphone, you'd miss that. Whereas actually that's really kind of a special connection with some random stranger or some other part of society. 
And uh, I agree completely. And that's actually what's happening in real life right now, right there. It's the present. It's not about, you know, um, what someone's just had for lunch and, you know, they're taking a picture of their of the hamburger or the or whatever you know what I mean or some other you know utterly uh, useless bit of information you know which which for the most part in my opinion social media is My last uh, Facebook post was uh, some segments from a baby orange with two chocolate buttons balanced on top with the caption, budget chocolate orange thumbs up. So maybe I should take that down. <laughs> I did get 60 likes for it on Facebook though, so, you know. Well, you know what? If it, 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 if it makes someone laugh, I think it's worth it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I just don't know if my, if my, if my, uh, my neighbour's um, uh, vegetable or, or salad they just made it, 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 it really doesn't yeah. make me laugh. It really, but when it makes me laugh, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. No, but it's great that you, uh, you know, as, a, as an artist and as a lyricist, are able to highlight these things and at least give people the opportunity to think about it for a moment and, and kind of, you know, make that assessment for themselves. Um, I mean, like we've discussed, I think there are a lot of more, a lot of layers to this album. There's a lot of richness to it. Um, in some ways more so than some of your previous work and that's not to to kind of do that down but this is a nice kind of you know ongoing change in your your musical sound but it still brilliantly has the essence of what makes a great Dan Putlansky album how did you how did you settle on this direction I mean we've talked about the fact that you had the ideas and you felt you could do it without a producer because your ideas were so clear but how did you kind of arrive on this idea well I mean all all my favorites albums by other artists have all all had one thing in common which is you know they've all had a very real raw roomy kind of live sound to them um and you know that's what just personally i felt i was missing from maybe previous albums you know the only thing was that kind of rawness and realness um so you know on a production uh, standpoint that's that was fairly easy and when it came to songwriting, I mean, the songwriting process was pretty much the same as the last two albums. It was just kind of, you know, come up with initial ideas and, you know, see where those ideas go and, you know, pick the ones that I felt strongly, you know, were, were better songs. Um, you know, I did do a lot of co-writing with Theo, um, you know, the old producer from the last albums on this album on four of the tracks. Um but, you know, I think the hard part was picking the songs, right? Because we obviously wrote more songs for the album that are actually on the album. But then once again, it just had to be kind of a, a gut feel kind of decision. And 
in a way, not overthink it. Um, and I've always felt if I've overthought these things in the past, it's, it tends to be a mistake. And I always think to myself, why did I put that one on? I should have put, put the one we left off on or, or something like that. So I really did you know, kind of shoot from the hip in a way and just say, these are the ones that I think should be on the album. And I just kind of close my eyes and hope for the best. And shooting from the hip reflects the, the the general vibe of wanting to make it like a a live gig in a sense. I mean, it's you know it, that that's how it feels as a listener. Well, that, that that's great to hear that that's coming across. Is you know one of the things that always kind of drives me crazy is when we we tour whatever albums we've had in the past. You know, people always enjoy the albums, but after the show, they always say they love the album, but they way prefer. You know the way the way that the songs are kind of, you know, represented on the live show. You know how they how they're interpreted live. Um, so I kind of wanted to have a little bit of that on the album. You know, so when we tour this album, um, it's not night and day between the the studio version and, and the live versions. It's it, it's similar and it's got you know similar essence. That I mean that that makes complete sense from a a pleasing your audience point of view, but it also makes business sense because uh, you know as way I understand it, artists these days are making more of their income from the live tour and less from the sales of albums and stuff because of the the changes in music marketing. So actually, you know it's it's really important to please the live crowds in some ways more so than it is to please people buying a CD or listening on Spotify. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, the music industry has gone completely lopsided to to the live side. I mean, you know, to, to rely on purely record sales um, would be would be, I think, a very very foolish thing, and a very very foolish thing for a person like me in the genre I'm in. It's it's, you know, I I, I think it's it's all about live live shows, and you know, the majority of our sales actually, our album sales come from. You know the merchandise table at live shows. Um, that that's really where where most of the albums get sold. So it's a very important thing. Yeah. Well, talking of live shows, that brings us on nicely. Your last tour featured Joanne Shaw Taylor, who's who's a great guitarist, and that must have been good fun. But you're out again um, in March. Just give us a, a kind of steer on that. I mean, I'm you know we we know what to expect now. We're going to get a a live version of this this new album. But who's going to be with you performing, and and what's your kind of plan for it? Um, the last couple of UK uh, tours I've done, I've used a, a great bunch of musicians from from Germany, uh, young guys um, that that I've been playing with, and they're really really great players. So I'm going to be using them again on on the Perfection Kills tour, and obviously we're going to be playing as many songs as possible from their album, if not all of them. And of course, um, you know, older songs from Introvertigo and Dear Silence Thieves too. Um, you know, and I, I really feel. You know the way the songs for for this album have been written and 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 kind of arranged, it, it really lends itself to a fantastic live show. And you know, obviously, we've been touring the last album, Introvertigo, for almost two years now. And now, so I just cannot wait to have fresh songs, a fresh show, and just fresh energy, kind of, you know, back you know, brought into the music again. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, your passion's clearly coming through, Dan. It's great that you're going to be back on tour and we look forward to seeing you. Let's finish up by talking about the single, Dog Day. Um, I mean, I absolutely hate dog mess. It drives me nuts. But am I missing a deeper metaphor here? (laughs) You are, I think. Um, (laughs) I thought you might say that. Well, fill me in then. Well, you know, it's a kind of a tongue-in-cheek song about 
first world problems, you know, problems like me and you have, you know, and the stuff that that we complain and moan about, um, you know, standing in dog mess, um, the the air conditioning's not working properly, you know, <laughs> the traffic's bad, you know, first world problems that that seem to consume our lives, where there's obviously in in the big scheme of things, like people have far bigger problems. So it's kind of a a tongue-in-cheek look at, at first world problems. Get yourself a copy of the new album from Dan Putlansky, Perfection Kills, and uh, go and see him when he comes on tour starting in March. Dan Putlansky, thank you very much for coming on the Route 66 One for the Road podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I uh, look forward to coming and seeing you, and we'll chat on the next one. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah, we'll, I look forward to chatting again, and thank you. Dan Putlansky, my guest on this edition of the Route 66 One for the Road podcast, and that almost brings us to a close. Just time to give you a heads up of his tour dates. He's going out on tour around the UK in March uh, with Molly Marriott in support as well. She'll be worth seeing too, so this will be good fun. They start in Manchester at the Deaf Institute, which is a great venue, on Thursday the 15th of March. So that's the beginning of the tour. Then they're in Newcastle at the Clooney on Friday the 16th. Leek at the Foxlow Arts on Saturday the 17th. Then they're away to Bristol at the Tunnels on the 18th, that's a Sunday, and Sheffield at the Greystones on Tuesday the 20th, and finally finishing the tour, so far as we know anyway, in London at the Borderline on Wednesday the 21st of March 2018. That's this year, it's happening now. Thank you very much for listening, thanks for downloading. Please stay subscribed. More interesting interviews on the way for you on this podcast stream. If you want to get in touch, Facebook and Twitter is open for business, at Rockin' Jockin' on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash rockin jockin and you can get me Rory Asker directly on Twitter as well thanks for listening thanks for downloading keep on rocking and we'll see you on the next one cheerio thanks for downloading the Route 66 One for the Road podcast for more information and to listen to the fully jocked radio show head to rockinjockin.com 